Good morning. I'll be reading Genesis chapter 39. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had, brought, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight, and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house, and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house, and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, and after a time his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house were, in there, were there in the house, she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until, her until his master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, This is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. And Joseph's, Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison the place where the king's master were, the, the, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were there in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge, because the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Well, you probably noticed that uh, that chapter that's just been read, Genesis 39, is a, a sandwich chapter. It begins and ends with uh, reference to God's faithfulness to Joseph, and specifically it highlights how God made Joseph influential in society, uh, influential in his workplace. Now, those vital themes are ones that we're going to punt a kick forward to next time, part three is entitled Influence, and it's about how God used 
Joseph in the workplace and culture in society throughout his life. It's going to be a, a thematic message next time. Today is another episode in his life. Next time is a thematic message. And I think it will be really encouraging for all of us who uh, live and work in the real world, uh, proper jobs, you want to influence for God, you want to know God's favor, his blessing and his success, often hit with challenges. Uh, that's part three influence. This time, part two, we're dealing with the bit in the middle of Genesis 39, which is a surprisingly detailed account of an attempted seduction. It's an episode rich with principles to help us combat sexual temptation, and in fact, these principles will work for most forms of temptation. So let's get right into it, part two, seduction. Verse 6, now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Just think regular monument dude. (laughs) And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. I don't know why I always imagine her saying this in French when she's clearly Egyptian. But this little English phrase, lie with me, is pretty bland. Would you like to lie with me? Yes, I'll lie with you. You lie here, I'll lie there. Commentators say that the original Hebrew words from where we get lie with me here... It's not three words, but two, and both words are command words. So a more accurate translation would be something like, sex now. So if you got the picture here, Potiphar's wife is on. None of this, you know, sex is about commitments and sex is about love. She's just like, Joe, boy, sex is an appetite, and I'm ready to feast. How about you? She was as blatant, as accessible, as brazen, as in your face with Joseph, as sexual temptation in its various forms today is with us. You kind of don't know where to look. You click the wrong button. You walk there. You hear that. You get surprised by that everywhere. There's a kind of sex now thing going on. It's the world we live in. How on earth are we meant to survive this sex now onslaught? Well, we learn from Joseph. These Old Testament characters, sometimes we do not learn from them. And sometimes we learn a lot from them. Jesus, of course, is the hero of every story. The Old Testament is someone's coming. New Testament is someone's come. The new is in the old concealed. The old is in the new revealed. Jesus is the greater Joseph. We'll get to that in the weeks ahead. But Paul wrote to the Corinthians that these things were written down. These Old Testament stories were written down that we might learn from them. And that we might not idolize the things that they idolized. So this is a passage rich 
with learning of how to combat sex now that comes at us in various forms. So how did Joseph do it? Well, first up, verse 8, he refused. Please say refuse. Just like to say it again. <clears throat> refuse. Right here is pretty much the whole ball game. No consideration, no flirting, no Christians being nice. This is just absolute outright refusal. I'm not doing this. Immediate, flat out refusal. No grounds given. It's a muscular Christianity. Not macho, but a muscular Christianity that loves Jesus and hates sin. When it comes to saying no to sin, it's not like no, it's no. You can be rude. Don't be well-mannered. This is refusal. I like reading uh, Lee Child, the author Lee Child books. His hero is Jack Reacher. Uh, Reacher, he likes to street fight. And uh, one of my favorite Jack Reacher quotes is, it's best to get your retaliation in before he hits you first. <laughs> so when, whenever Reacher senses, you know, a fight is going to be begin, a group of guys, it's always a group of guys going for him. Whenever he senses a fight is about to start, he starts it first. doesn't wait for it to start. He gets his retaliation in before anyone throws the first punch at him. That's the kind of attitude we need to adopt against sin. You, you just get a hint that it's on your tail, that it's after you. Refuse. Jesus, and can I just be clear, it's not like, oh, Jack Reacher says this and Jesus says this, both helpful. What Jesus says is way above what Jack Reacher says. But Jesus said, if your right hand causes you to sin, just put it in your pocket. You know, don't be too radical. Christianity is just nice after all. And what did Jesus say? Yeah, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Now, he wasn't literally meaning cut it off. He was literally meaning get tough. Get combative. Get aggressive. Get a bit of the old Jack Reacher in. Get radical. Refuse. You've heard it said, there's no need to use a cannon to kill a fly. Use a cannon to kill a fly. Sin this big, bazooka it. Refuse. Deploy overwhelming force. United States Armed Forces, part of the philosophy of our warfare is we, we try not to go into war unless we've got overwhelming force to overwhelm the enemy. That's what we're talking about here. You're not trying to get a fair fight. So what does that mean? It means sometimes don't even go there. And if you have to, text the bros, text the sisters so that they know and they're praying, and you're accountable. What does this look like? What else does it look like? It means walk out. Oh, I, felt, I feel awkward. Overwhelming force. Use a cannon to kill a fly. I might have been okay if I'd stayed in that. Don't even risk it. We're not just trying to scrape through. We're trying to kill a fly with a cannon. 
before a fly becomes some mutant, huge, big fly. <laughs> nice end there. It means you might not, it means you might not uh, have a smartphone. Oh, can't get by in today's world without a smartphone. Come on, you're more innovative than that. If a smartphone is not helping you because you're weak in that area, don't have a smartphone. Figure it out. Refuse. And then verse 10, he keeps refusing. And as she spoke to Joseph, day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her, or to be with her. He kept refusing. And you check the progression here. He didn't even listen, because that would have led to lying with her, which would have led to being with her, which is biblical language for sexual intercourse. Don't listen. If you listen, you'll probably get into lying. If you get into lying, you're probably going to end up doing it. You dummy, you shouldn't have even have listened. Don't go down that road. Don't listen. That's the trick. Don't even listen. Sex now. Don't even listen. You say, PJ, what world do you live in? I have to listen. It's shouting. Sex now. Look now. Read now. Think now. Let your mind go there now. How can I not listen? Yeah, I don't mean don't listen. I mean don't listen. So how do you listen but not listen? You listen to something else more. And the trick is to turn up the volume of Jesus Christ. His glory, his beauty, and the things he says. Turn that up. And the things of the world grow strangely dim. And the light of his glory and grace. Sex now becomes sex now. <laughs> Turn up. Turn up the spirit man voice. Sometimes it doesn't work trying to turn down the flesh man voice. You've got to turn up the spirit man voice. Set your mind on things above. Not, don't think anything. That's what Paul said to the Colossians. He didn't say, don't think anything. Empty, empty your mind. It doesn't work. Don't think about sin. All I can think about is sin. That huge sin. Don't think about sin. It doesn't work. Set your mind on, turn up the volume. Turn up the volume of Jesus. You know, you know about the man who... He had two dogs, a brown dog and a white dog, and he fought them every Saturday night and took bets, illegal. But he made money. It's like he always knew which dog was going to win. Week after week, just... And one night he was drunk, and a friend said to him, how do you know? It seems like you know which dog's going to win every week. And he, he let on his secret. He said, yeah, I do. It's whichever dog I feed that week. Feed the brown dog. Brown dog wins. We, we, we win by starving the flesh dog, but more importantly, feeding the spirit dog. We, we feed our spirit, we feed our spirit dog. That's what we're doing on a Sunday, isn't it? When we're together. It's not Christians together nicely singing songs. Man, we're coming to give glory to Jesus. And we're coming to build up our spirit man in, in the presence of God and in the word of God. That's why part of our culture is being here on time. It's because we, we, often the first two or three, I don't know if you've noticed, but if we sing five songs, usually the first two or three are about the magnificence and breadth of God. And usually the last 
two or three songs are more our response to him. The word me and I is often in our songs four and five more. If we only get here for songs four and five, it can perpetuate a kind of me-centered Christianity. We love, we, we love making the most of these 90 minutes together. These, we only get 52 shots at this a year. We build up our spirit, man. We turn up the volume of Jesus when we're together. And when we're alone, it's about small groups and reading a few verses each day and praying. I hope you'll be able to do that most days. Just a few verses, it can turn up the volume of God wonderfully. We're feeding the spirit dog. Don't listen and then don't lie beside her. Lying beside her, it's like, it's like foreplay. It's, gonna, it's probably going to happen. You may get out of it, but I wouldn't even go there. You know, if I was, had a roll of cotton and I said, I'm going to put these cotton handcuffs on you and did two little loops, you'd say, no problem, I can break out of that. It's not dangerous for me. I can lie there a bit. Lie there, just a little bit of lying. lying, A little bit of telling, telling lies, a little bit of bad language, a little bit of dishonesty. It's not going to become a pattern, just a little bit. Just that if I go there with her, it's not full-blown sex. No, it's just a little bit. I can break out. It's not going to... It's just a few more. I can break out. A few more. A few more. Suddenly, you can't break out. It's got you. Sure as if you were bound with a steel chain. Don't listen. Don't lie. That's the way to not being with her. So he was... He refused. Say refuse again. Right there is pretty much the whole ball game. Uh, he, next, he was ready for the perfect storm. Verse 13, but one day, one day things escalated. He went into her house to do his work and none of the men of the house were there in the house. It's just like, it's a setup. It was tough enough fighting her off before, but at least there were people around. Now there's nowhere to, it's just nowhere to hide. The perfect storm. There will suddenly come moments in your life, my life, where mysteriously it seems like the odds are insanely stacked against us. We think this is ridiculous. That was happening in my life. This was happening in my life. This was happening. I was so vulnerable. And then that happened, and I gave in. It's called the perfect storm, and it will come. How do we get ready to survive that moment, to get through it? Well, I would suggest three things. Know, know three things. Know your enemy. Know a, at least one excellent scripture that will help you, and know yourself. Enemy, scripture, yourself. Know your enemy. Your enemy... The world, the flesh, the devil. I'm thinking particularly of the devil, but the world, your flesh and the devil. Your enemy, the devil, doesn't like you at all. You're made in the image of God. His arch enemy is God. If you're not a Christian, you're considering that devil still hates you because you're made in the image of God. If you are a Christian, no longer considering faith, you've crossed the line of faith, he uber hates you. Because you're made in the image of God, now you're worshiping God, his arch enemy, he hates you. Second thing to know about your, your enemy knowing you is that he really does know you. He knows your weaknesses and knows your strengths. He prowls around seeking someone to devour. He's watching. 
Know your enemy. Secondly, know at least, least one key scripture. Um, as a young man, I learned uh, Psalm 119, I think verse 9 and 10. How can a young man keep his way pure by living according to your word? I've hidden your word in my heart, O Lord, that I might not sin against you. I remember driving to parties in my late teens and early, early 20s at college and things. I'd say those verses out loud to myself. Here's another great one. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has seized you except that which is common to man. So never think, oh, I could never tell the pastor that. He won't understand. What do you mean I won't understand? You think you're special. <laughs> you think we're going to go, oh, you thought that. Oh, you were tempted with that. No temptation has seized you, dear friend, except that which is common to man. That's so comforting. Um, no temptation sees you except that which is common to man. And God is faithful. He will never allow you to be tested or tempted beyond what you can bear. He will always provide a way out, a way of escaping. What a great verse. It's like in your face, devil. You think your temptation is strong? Even the perfect storm temptation. God is faithful. He will provide a way out for me. You know, you know cargo ships with big crates on them you know they're two, always always two colors there's like a blue and then there's a red and sometimes you can see the red high and sometimes you can just see blue that line is called the plimsoll line samuel plimsoll he campaigned for it he didn't want um greedy uh, ship shipping line owners to overload boats uh, so he got a, a law passed that was called plimsoll line but a plimsoll line on ships so a ship at its most laden must not be pushed down in the water any further than that line. That line can't go underwater. It's got to be above the water. That's the promise of 1 Corinthians 10, 13. That God promises we will not be laden, even in the perfect storm moments, beyond what we can bear. That's, that's his promise to us. That is a, a scripture to learn. That's heartening. That's good preparation for the perfect storm. And then know yourself. Where are you vulnerable? You will be vulnerable in different areas to me. But where are you vulnerable? Is it when you're alone or with others? Have you figured that out? Are you susceptible to temptation when you're disappointed? Happy? Some people, when they celebrate, it's like, yeah, I can just let my hair down a bit. And it goes too far. Uh, is it when you're bored? Some of us, it's, it's when we're bored. It's like, that's the time, man. I can't be bored. I, gotta do. I know what I could do. When you're angry, some of us, it's just easy to sin when you're angry. Tired, financially tight, some of us are particularly prone just to feel it and go a bit nuts when we're financially under the cosh. Do you, have you, do you know that about yourself? Maybe when someone's offended you, you feel justified in actions or emotions that are actually sinful, but you kid yourself, but because they wronged you, it, it's, it's like okay for you to do this. That may be you, it may not be you, but the point is, do you know yourself? So the question is, for homework, if you were the devil, how would you tempt you? <laughs> Knowing what you know about you, how would you tempt you if you were the devil? And how? When and how? That will help us get ready for the perfect storm. Next thing is he learned how to run. Verse 12, she caught him by his garment. 
saying, lay with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. I mean, this is graphic. This, I mean, this is as, pretty much as gra- graphic as the Bible actually know, Song of Songs. <laughs> but this, this does... She, imagine. And what did he do? He won by running away. Temptation is the only battle that I can think of that you win if you, won a re- if you, win if you run away. Paul, one, uh, to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 6, 18, he said, flee sexual immorality. I'll ask him in heaven, but I think he had this story of Joseph in mind when he wrote, flee from sexual immorality. Just run away, leg it, and you win. Run, don't play, run. Don't play, run. Oliver Cromwell, Lord Protector of Great Britain, of England back in the day, um, he, he told how, as a younger man, he went to the zoo and one of the tricks was a, a man who had trained a little cute little python, only this big, uh, to, as it grew up, he trained the python, wrap him around its finger, and as he got older, to wrap him around his whole body. And the trick was, he'd stand in the middle, snake wraps around him, the, the crowd gasps, and then, I don't know what he does, but then the snake unwraps and slithers away back into its little python house, ready for the next show. And the night he went, the python forgot the rules, and crushed him, and apparently you could hear bones snap. The point, little pythons grow up to become big pythons, and big pythons crush you. Don't play. Don't hang around. Just run. You win if you run. And the fourth and final one, although it's more chunky, is he reasoned. His little speech to Potiphar's wife is loaded with wonderful spiritual and philosophical reasoning. Verse 8, he said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master, your husband, has no concern about anything in the house. He's put everything he has in my charge. He's not greater in the house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you're his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? This is loaded. The first thing he reasons is he reasons that he has a choice. By even saying, how then can I do this? He's, he's saying, I do have a choice in this matter. I could do it, I couldn't do it. How then could I do this? I'm not going to do it. He's registering that he does have a choice. It implies choice. And I just want to, just for a moment, uh, toggle across to Romans 7 in the New Testament. If you're not familiar with this, this passage, um, no problem. But if you are, this might help. Because I don't, uh, not, not that I know of anyone uh, here is, is struggling this much with it. But that I do know of Christians who make too much of Romans 7, at least the part in it that talks about the wretched man. And I quote, this wretched man, verse 18, has the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. And if you just read that verse, or those little flurry of verses, without looking at the context of Romans 6 and Romans 8, either side of it, just a few verses in Romans 7, without Romans 6, without Romans 8, and without the rest of the sweep of Scripture, 
but you kind of fixate on that for some reason, it can leave you thinking, I don't have a choice. I'm wretched. I, 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 I desire to do what is good, but not the ability to carry it out. If you think that is the, ex- the experience of a Christian, what a nightmare for you. It's like, that's really cool. Become a Christian and suddenly nothing will change. You'll want, in fact, you'll be worse off. You'll want to do what is good, but you won't have the power to do it. Now, whatever Paul is talking about in terms of this wretched man, frankly, it's a bit of a puzzle. Great theologians have debated it over the ages. What we do know is that is not normative Christian living. What is normative is that there is a wrestle. There is definitely a wrestle. I feel it daily. I feel the wrestle. But it's not normative that, oh, we just can't. No, normative, the Bible teaches, is that in God's strength, we can increasingly say no to sin. And here's the wonderful bit. When we don't, we're still forgiven and accepted, delighted in by God, in His grace. We don't always, I know. It's not that we claim that we're never without sin. But we do line up with what Romans 6 and Romans 8 say, and the rest of Scripture, I mean, even that verse I just mentioned, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. God will provide a way out. Romans 6 says, categorically, we are not enslaved. We're no longer enslaved to sin. We don't have to do what sin says. We still have the flesh man, but the spirit man is now stronger. That's what Romans 8 gets to. Romans 7 talks about flesh and spirit and the tussle, but Romans 8 comes out, but the spirit man, we live by the spirit, not by the flesh. We feel it though, don't we? We certainly feel it, the flesh and the spirit. And sometimes the flesh man wins through. But what the Bible thunders out is that we've been made new and our spirit man is now in charge. We can draw on that. Romans 6 says, consider yourselves dead to sin. That's why when you look at Romans 7, you've got to look at it. Some, some, you've got to look at it in context. of Romans 6. Romans 8, and frankly, all of Scripture. There is a fight. There's forgiveness when we fail. Thank you for... I, I smile when I say that. It's not because I don't take sin seriously. It's because I take grace more seriously. That's why I smile. It's, oh, when I fail. You see it? When I fail. Peter, don't you take sin seriously? No, I take it seriously, but I take God's grace more seriously. It's the grace of God that... Titus 2, that teaches me to say no to sin. Not, (laughs) oh, me. No, look at Jesus. Jesus, really? I'm righteous and forgiven. Thank you. Dwelling on that. That's what helps us. There is a fight, but we're not into the fatalism and the impotence that can accompany a misread of a few verses in Romans 7. So there is a choice. Hallelujah. We're empowered by God. Uh, Secondly, he reasons that he has enough that he has sufficient. He, he says, nor has Potiphar, your husband, kept back anything from me except you. He's saying, he's given me all things, just not you. And you might say that's not very profound. I found this to be a, a profoundly strong defense against sin because I found that sin, temptation, says to me constantly, you don't have enough. You don't have enough. You need more. You need more satisfaction. You need that. You've grown out of that. Now you need that. 
A bit more. I know you've got more now than you had, but it's still not enough. It's not enough. It's not enough. It's, it goes right back to goes right back to Eden. God said to Adam and Eve, all the trees in the garden you may eat, just not that one. All, yes, one, no. What did Eve do? Zoned in on the one. Ate of that. <laughs> I find it so helpful to think of all. All the blessings I don't deserve that I've got. All that I have. All. Fix on the all, not, not, not the one. That's what Joseph did. He said, he's given me all of this, just not you. I'm just going to respect that. So grateful for the all, just not you. He didn't let his mind go to, yeah, I could do with a piece of her. I'm, an, I'm, a, I'm a young man, red-blooded man. I've got desires. Anyway, what am I doing in stinking Egypt? Might as well get a little bit out of it, if you know what I'm saying. He didn't go there. He's just argue. it's kind of at a philosophical level because of Potiphar. We've elevated it to a spiritual level because of Genesis 2, the principle of all versus one in temptation. But he was just reasoning, I've got all this. I'm not, I'm not going to be greedy for that. that. That helps. That's part of the argument. Thirdly, he reasons that sex is for marriage. He said, no, we're not going to get, get down together because, <laughs> because you are his wife. You're not my wife, girl. You're his wife. He's saying sex is for marriage. That's what the Bible teaches. Why? Why sex for marriage? Because sex is so profound. Because sex is a spiritual experience. And because it's one of the most wonderful cements or super glues in a marriage. It's a spiritual experience. So it's reserved for marriage. The Bible speaks of it as one flesh. And the Bible's not just trying to be polite. It's, being, it's saying, wow, the one flesh nature. It's holistic. And that's where the logic bit comes in. If in marriage you're saying, I'm giving myself to you socially, financially, emotionally. We're going to have kids together. We're going to make a home together. We're doing life together. But this little thing of my body, I'm going to do what I want with it before I get married and during, during our marriage. It's like, Really? That's just illogical. Line up your body with what, what the other joinings that you're doing in marriage. So for spiritual and logical reasons, the Bible teaches brilliantly that sex is for marriage. But let's talk marriage just for a moment. Potiphar and his wife, they had, their marriage was in serious trouble, Right? I mean, what do we know? Well, she was craving sex. She was likely craving companionship, uh, craving affirmation. Then her outburst about this Hebrew servant that you, Potiphar, brought amongst us, indicate oh, she's just oozing resentment for her husband. She's just... Maybe he, what was Potiphar up to? I, I don't know, maybe he, was, he had got neglectful in his marriage. Likely. Maybe he was unaware, dummy. Maybe he just got too busy, big job. I don't know. It's probably just ebbed over the years. Maybe she had an unchecked vital, uh, idol of vanity. You know, idols are things that we ultimately 
put above God, maybe her and how she looked and who she was, that was, just became too big a, big a thing. She needed to prove that she still got it by getting the younger guy, maybe. Needing to conquer. Maybe she needed the escapism of, a, of an affair. Life was just too boring. We don't know, do we, how they'd got there. But what we do know is that our marriages can also get to this point or something similar. And I want to encourage us in two different ways. A, a twofold argument uh, to help marriages that are in trouble. And no marriage is perfect. But this is a marriage that's in crisis. So it's appropriate to speak to marriages that are in crisis or potential crisis. A twofold argument. One isn't even spiritual. And I'll let Jordan Peterson, Professor Jordan Peterson, do the non spiritual piece. He's not a believer. He's a psychologist, um, philosopher, a brilliant man. Uh, I'll let him do the unspiritual encouragement, which is basically this. You're locked in. You can't get out, so you might as well fix it. Let's watch. That's actually why people get married, you know, just so you know. Because this is built into marital vows. I'm not leaving ever, no matter what. It's like, okay, well, that definitely puts a boundary around our argument, right? Because I can't say every time you manifest one of your flaws, which you're likely to do just as often as me, well, enough of this. It's like, that's horrible, man. If your whole life is, well, every time you get out of line, I'm, I'm out of here. It's like, how the hell are you, first of all, you're not going to admit to ever doing anything wrong. Second, you're going to be on your, you're like a, like a scared cat the entire relationship because well, who knows? It could just come to an end at any moment. But, you know, people say, well, if, you're, if the possibility of divorce is open, it makes you free. It's like, yeah, that's what you want. You want to be free, eh? Really? Really? So you can't predict anything. That's what you're after. It's a vow. It says, look, I know that you're in trouble. Me too. So we won't leave. No matter what happens. Well, that's a hell of a vow, but that's why it's a vow, right? That's why you take it in front of a bunch of people. That's why it's supposed to be a sacred act. Like, what's the alternative? What's the alternative? Everything is mutable and changeable at any moment. Well, go ahead. You live, you live your life like that. See what you're like when you're 50. It's dismal. Two or three divorces. Your family's fragmented. You've got no continuity of narrative. And it's not good for the kids, not by any stretch of the imagination. And so it's a form of voluntary enslavement, I suppose, but it's also equivalent to the adoption of a responsibility, and there's more to it than that. If you can't run away, then you can solve your problem, because it might be, okay, well, I'm stuck with you, so how about we fix things? Because the alternative is we're going to be in a boxing match for the next 40 years. That's the alternative. So, and you think you're going to fix problems without something like that hanging over your head? There isn't a chance. You'll just avoid it, because that's what people do. It's really hard to, to solve problems, especially in relationships. All right, so he's swinging there. He's in a university lecture hall. He's speaking to uh, young adults uh, before they get married. He's swinging. Good old-fashioned common sense. And although he's not a believer, as far as I, I understand, uh, he's, he, he's, he's, he's a voice for the, cons for the conservative right that's really rather unique at the moment. There is, of course, a caveat to what he's saying. 
is that if you're in an abusive marriage, you need to get out. We would, we would totally support that. There's different types of abuse. Sometimes the abuse needs a temporary separation. Sometimes it's too extreme and it needs a, a full-on divorce. What I, he's not saying, we're not saying that you're locked into some abusive and horrible uh, situation. The other caveat is that sometimes stuff goes wrong in life that is or isn't our fault, and it just is what it is, and we are where we are. And if you're a believer, particularly in Christ, even if if you're not a believer, you need to know that Christianity, the teaching of Scripture, the tone of Jesus, the tone of His church, is one of real empathy and support and love. And for some listening here today and others who will listen online, this is, it, just, we've just touched a real sore spot here. Yeah, I know, life can be so sore. But this is the second truth. So Peterson's truth is you're locked in, so fix it. The second truth is you can draw on God's power. Hallelujah to get a marriage out of crisis, to help you through if you're separated or you're divorced. We have a wonderful father who is compassionate and loving, gracious and kind. Philippians 2, I'm reading Philippians 2 and Philippians at the moment. I just came across 2 verse 12 and 13 again. It It says, work out your salvation. Work at it. Work, live out your Christian beliefs. And then fortunately, there's not a period. There's a comma, and it says, for God is working within you. The Bible doesn't say, work it out, fix it. It says, no, God is working within you. To will and to work his good pleasure within you. God works within. He can change your desires. He can reorder affections. He can help restore And if things already broken, that's gone. Well, he can bring healing as you move forward. So, brothers and sisters, we've got a marriage here that details not given, but man, it's in real trouble. If your marriage is in real trouble, don't go secret. Reach for help. Reach to the Lord for help. Reach to each other for help. Go home, look at each other in the eye and say, you annoy me so much. I know I annoy you terribly. We're at a low ebb, but God. But God. Reach sideways to brothers and sisters to help. You're not going to get a punch on the nose. You're going to get an arm around the shoulder. Some of you will need some sequential, long-term, detailed counseling. Others of you will just need a kick on the backside. Most people need something in between. You're not alone. Part of the family of God. Even if you're considering Christianity and you say, I'm not a Christian, not a member here. Hey, in one sense, please think of us as your family. We're in this together. Now you're not a member of the church. You might not even yet believe that Jesus is Lord. Well, we, we know that he is and we found him to be phenomenally kind and effective in our lives. And we want to help you through on that. You may never... You may never believe in Jesus, but you can at least, you can allow us to help you 
And you've, you've got things, I don't want this to be a one-way street, be patronizing in any way. It's not like Christians help everyone else and no one else can teach Christians anything. That's not the heart of this. But if you're hurting, the family of God is the place to get love. And finally, he reasons that sin is against God. That's how he ends up saying the sin is against God. I love this. This is beautiful and powerful. The pinnacle of his argument why he's not going to give in to sexual temptation. The ultimate source of resistance in him to not give in to sexual temptation isn't from within. <laughs> Mind power. It's not ultimately there. The whole refuse where he started and we started. I said it's nearly the whole ball game. Nearly. His ultimate source of restraint and power wasn't willpower, mind power. It wasn't from within. It was from above. He said, I don't want to, I don't want to displease God. He wanted her, I reckon, if I was him, I would have wanted her. But he wanted something else more. And that's the way to consistently overcome temptation. To want someone else more. To want you more, Lord. I, I want to please you. Wow, she's laid her eyes on me. But you laid yourself on a cross for me. I want you more. That's. You, someone asked me, asked me the other day, is our church into spiritual warfare? I said, you bet. And the conversation went a little bit along the lines that made me think she didn't really believe me. <laughs> What's happening now is spiritual warfare. We're not marching around and burying Bibles under, you know, four different points of the city but what we're doing is we elevate Jesus and gaze on him and preach his grace yet yeah, certainly there's time to bind the devil we're all into that in Jesus name but really the ultimate spiritual warfare is desiring him that's what keeps me he wanted God more we can't eliminate I can't eliminate my temptations But I can displace them. I displace them with this. This is better. It's a, it's a higher affection. If I suppress them, they spring back. It's not a case of getting rid of. It's they'll always be there till we get to heaven. But it's we displace what we can't eliminate with the delight in Jesus and his delight in us. I want to close out with one of my favorite quotes is actually a paraphrase, Thomas Chalmers. He says, it's seldom that any of our sins can be made to disappear by mental determination or natural extinction, but what cannot be destroyed may be displaced. The heart is so constituted that the only way to dispose of an old affection is by the expulsive power of a new affection. Thus, the more received is the gospel, the more it shall lead to godliness. The more received as the gospel, the more it shall lead to godliness. Paul said to Titus, Titus chapter 2, he says, It's the grace of God that teaches us to say no to sin. 
and live zealous, upright lives in this crooked age that we live in. It's what Chalmers is saying. He's saying the gospel is what displaces sin, what enables us to say no to sin. Stay at bay, sin. No, you can't be eliminated in this life, but you can be kept in check by this. I'm filling myself with the good news of a God who gave himself to die on a cross in my place that I might have peace with God. Oh, filling myself with that. God's word, God's spirit, prophetic words, singing songs, filling myself with this truth. That's, that's what keeps me to say no. That's why the gospel is so powerful. And why Christianity isn't first the don't religion, it's a do, it's, it's a take, it's a receive religion. And as we receive, we are able to ref- refuse we're able to be ready for that perfect storm. We learn how to run because we want to please you. And all these different various reasonings that come together as a wonderful fortification to help us say increasingly no to the invitation, the challenge, sex, now. We say no to that through this tapestry of this armory. These diff- I, I feel today has been like, you know, you know in movies and TV shows when the Marines or the, the police station, they hear the news that just out in the streets, they're under attack. And, and the sergeant at arms opens the armory and there's this whole room that opens up and he just passes out weapons. Pistols to some, ARs to other, 50 cal to others. Just different weapons, different soldiers. I feel that's what God wants to do with us. Through these little R's that we've seen in Joseph, these reasonings to strengthen us and fortify us. And remember once again, when you blow it, Lord, I'm still loved and accepted. I'm so sorry. I come to you, I repent of that. I turn from that. That was sin. That was displeasing you. I'm sorry, Father. Thank you for your unconditional love. What a place to fight from. You know that if you take a bullet or you mess up, you know, like some idiot soldiers, they go, oh, and they get a bullet in the shoulder. It's their own fault. Uh, it's not, you, you, we don't, God doesn't shoot the wounded. We don't shoot our wounded. You've got that security of knowing you're secure in his love, even if you blow it. Oh, hallelujah. What a gospel this is. Amen. Amen.